welcome to Speak Sex. I am Eve Eurydice. I'm your host. I am Greek from the island of Lesbos. Uh, I'm a writer and artist on the theme of female sexuality. And I started this podcast for the very literal uh, cause of encouraging everyone to speak sex to each other without guilt, without self-consciousness, without ridiculous codes. Um, Uh, without miming and uh, fluently and so most of what we do here is educate each other by example by osmosis you know energetically Um, we tell our stories on the air and we want everyone to listen in order to find their own voice and to you know realize how we need to learn a lot of the lessons of our childhood and you know early adolescence in order to gain our power and I believe as a woman that the way to do that is for us women to get back the power of speaking about sex and asking for what we want and naming our desires so that we're no longer the object of the fucking patriarchy. (laughs) 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 Um, and we've just you know gained the right to give verbal consent to sex for like the first time in written history so we should just write that puppy all the way um, because it's the one thing that the dominant culture has not regulated you know language logos is totally determined by patriarchy as as are all our customs and laws and you know uh, gods Um, principles, you know, our ideas of like right and wrong, light and dark, all the dichotomies, all that bullshit that we have taken on just by being part of this culture and this language. But because sex was, after all, the domain and the power and the genetic advantage of women, the dominant culture has not really taught us how to speak sex to each other. So this is our moment to insert ourselves into the culture and I think that this is good for both men and women, but, you know, my personal journey is to encourage women, my sisters, <laughs> <laughs> to find their voice and find their own, you know, female uh, subject, subjectiveness and their own female gaze and their own female agency all the way through. So um, in this, uh, you know, I- in this effort of speaking sex <laughs> um, and speaking truth and speaking openly in a raw and direct um, and uncensored, unedited way with each other, um, unfiltered, I've invited today Enid Nolasco to uh, be my guest um, because she runs something called um, a project called Raw Storytelling. Storytelling. And I just loved even the name Raw Storytelling, you Mm -hmm. know, because so much of what we do these days with social media especially is heavily filtered, you know, and edited, right, for content. So you can tell truth from lie. And we've entered this moment uh, in uh, history where no one knows even what news are true and fake. <laughs> so raw, in my humble opinion, is the way to go for honesty. Right, yes. It was definitely the intention. <laughs> yeah, great. So um, her shows through live, true storytelling shows and a podcast, Raw, raw story, Storytelling, 
provides any person from any background with the opportunity to share their life experiences and gather inspiration from those who also share. So this is a little bit what we're doing here. Um, and uh, you are uh, an overachiever Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely And she is also the founder of Witchcraft Branding, <laughs> <laughs> um, which uh, helps creatives, makers, and healers, you know, claim their place in the branded universe. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's super mm. special to be here. Yeah. Yeah. For me too. I'm looking forward to hearing all about you. Yeah. So um, my first question usually um, is about your own personal journey. Mm -hmm. it. <laughs> it's where you came from and how you've got to where you are right now. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the heroine's journey. Um, and and potentially like the transformations or you know the mo the revelatory moments you know like the soul on the way to Damascus <laughs> moments you know where you realized oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've believed in the false gods <laughs> yeah it, it's funny um so I I people I I was born in Costa Rica and people usually like really um I lived there for only three years mm. and that's because um I was born into a very unconventional family it was my mom my grandparents my uncle and my aunt and that was my like to the point where I called my grandfather my dad like that was mm. our nucleus and my grandfather he worked for the American embassy and he used to uh, move every three years to a different country in Latin America so I grew up all over the place and that really um, was a huge factor in who I am. Yeah, like, it's a great cultural education. I'm a mix of a lot of different things. That's and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at one point, my mom was like, "I'm done with this," and she actually moved to the United States and stayed there for like all of my like elementary years. Mm. So that's why I have an American accent, and mm -hmm. I'm also very much American. I'm kind of like a mixture of all these different cultures. I'm American. I'm also Puerto Rican. I'm mm -hmm. also Latina from other cultures. Right, uh, from all over Latin America. Yeah, yeah. I'm a mix. Um, and where, where did your mom move? Where were you raised? Uh, I, it was D.C. and Houston. Most of it was Houston. Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then my mom remarried when I was about 10 or 11-ish, and uh, she, remarried, uh, she remarried another Puerto Rican. My mom is Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. She remarried another Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. And at that point, we moved to Puerto Rico, and I was there for the majority of my... High school? It was middle school, high school, and college, and okay. that's why I say I'm Puerto Rican. It's what I know the yeah. most. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was there that I fell in love with, t um, with like, TV and film, and I actually... I went to study TV and film. That's what I have my bachelor's in, mm. um, TV and film production. I was a video editor for seven years. I had life happen. And <laughs> <laughs> life well, happened. I want to know that life happened. Oh, well, <laughs> no, it was just, uh, it was, uh, I, I was a very depressed teenager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was definitely like the invisible friend behind mm. other, other people that were more popular. Mm. And I just, I was just very sad all the time and TV and film were my refuge. Mm -hmm. That is all that I watched mm -hmm. and, and, and did. I didn't have any hobbies. So that was my safe place. And I read a lot of books and I, it was, I was a super nerd, which I love. 
I'm happy that I'm a nerd. Yeah. Almost everyone who comes here is a nerd. Yeah. That's <laughs> why I. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. that. I was super into anything that was like, uh, I didn't dress gothic, but I did definitely enjoy, like, I, I just, I love that culture of like being gothic and skulls and death and witches and demons and vampires. Uh-huh. And I was just yeah. so into all of yeah. that. Yeah. And that was my happy place. Yeah. Um, and then I went to college and I realized that I was really, really good at working and I became a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really good at working <laughs> <laughs> like to the point where I didn't make a lot of friends. I just worked a lot in college. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I I met who, who would become my wife for 13 years in college, actually. Mm-hmm. And I got married really quickly. <laughs> but young. But yeah, I was, tw- I was 22 and we moved to New York City and we, like, we moved in really quickly. I had known her for a while. She's my best friend and we moved to New York City. And then my eyes started to open to all the possibilities of other of everything of, <laughs> and every aspect uh, that you can imagine right and other types of yeah. sexual experience right and yeah change yeah right and uh, and sexual experience and and every honestly and it was all it was like personal development it was mental it was just like just in every single aspect of life my yeah. eyes opened yeah. when i moved to new york city right and then from <laughs> there yeah from there um like uh from there, I ended up in Miami somehow. <laughs> well, we all do. From yeah. We come so here. Funny. And we stay here. <laughs> I totally stayed. I know. Yeah, I live now in Fort Lauderdale, but I totally, I, we stayed in Miami. Um, and I, along the way, I, I found branding. I had never heard of, the, heard of it before. I got obsessed with branding. I went and got a master's in fine arts and branding. I opened my own business. I worked for like award-winning branding projects. And um, what happened to the wife? Well, I'll, I'll, I'm getting there. Okay, so, so she the, moved down here with you. Oh then. yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and then we. Uh, uh, so uh, branding, I, I was still super depressed. <laughs> I was still, all like like I was married. I had all this awesome career. I was still super depressed until one day. Um, somebody invited me to talk at you know Creative Mornings. It's like a mm. breakfast lecture series, mm-hmm. an international one. I spoke there, and at the end of the at the speech, somebody asked, "So what's next?" And I hadn't asked myself that question mm. <laughs> ever. And mm-hmm. I blurted out, "I want to start a true storytelling show." Mm-hmm. I don't know why I said that. I have no idea. It just came out. Mm-hmm. And then that was May twelfth, twenty seventeen, and that was the day that life changed. Because um, I started raw storytelling, like I met people that brought me. Ooh, brought sorry, <laughs> brought me to a group. <laughs> sorry, I know podcast blooper. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that, she gesticulates a lot, so every so often I she's d- gonna I'm punch the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I went to this group who called Accent Club, and they they helped me grow raw storytelling into what it is. I met a ton of friends there. It changed who I was. Mm. And I found the person that I am now. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I don't have a wife anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I do love her. She's amazing. She's my best friend in my That's entire lovely. life. But we're just different people right now. Mm. And uh, got divorced uh, six months ago. Wow. It's very recent. Very fresh. And raw storytelling keeps growing, growing, growing. And I've met so 
many different souls mm. through this thing called nice. Rothstar. It has yeah. changed my life. Of course. Yeah. Raw found As it me. does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, it, as this yeah. thing does, you know, when you kind of put yourself out there and invite everyone in to join, especially if you do it like without, you know, profiteering in mind, you just do it from a place of inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, and interest in like fellow humans. It just grows and takes over. It's crazy. Yeah, because yeah. we're all looking for authenticity. You know, so much of what we do is like packaged and mm-hmm. suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little more about Raw. Right. So Raw Storytelling, it, it's like you mentioned, it, it's a monthly event that happens mm-hmm. right now in Fort, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Right, right. Um, but uh, it's So anybody can come or do you uh, figure, you know, do you have like... A, do they have to apply? Do they have to volunteer? Okay. And you choose. There is yeah. some sort of editorial writing. Right. So um, in order to speak at the show or to share your story at the show, you need to submit your story um, through the website. Okay. And I will say that we book up, like it's first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. And each month has a theme. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, at this point, like we book up way in advance. Like yeah. I book, like it's like you have to apply and you'll speak in like two or three months. Three, two, three months. Yeah. Right. Um, and before you, and s- how long? I'm sorry to interrupt. How 50, long is you have up to fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. And how many people do you get? Five to six per show. Okay. And before the show, you get a a, a storytelling workshop call with me. So you'll oh, nice. we'll have a call and you tell mm-hmm. me your story and I'll help mm-hmm. you make it even Present better. It better and yeah. yeah. So the stories are definitely curated in the sense that the storyteller has worked on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that sometimes people either get cold feet or they may maybe they something happens in their life and they can't make the show. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, I do open it up to volunteers from the crowd. And the best stories have come from those volunteers that yeah. just off the cuff. Yeah. Um, and then we think, have this thing called Too Raw to Share, which people in the crowd can write a raw story on a little piece of paper. And also those are great. So it's a combination of people mm-hmm. who have really worked their story with maybe more raw ones. Right. Although they're all raw, but some are just not, yeah. not as yeah. thought through. Yeah. But it's the combination that really makes it special. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have felt that, you know, f- both for myself and as I've witnessed, uh, you know, other people that when I've spoken completely off the cuff, driven by raw emotion, mm-hmm. you know, when you like start shaking and you get red mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you feel present. all like the electrical synapses yeah. going, like you are electrified, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't keep your mouth shut. So you bolt up and say your piece <laughs> that's when so much you know so much right. truth comes out and you don't even know half the time you don't even know that that's, that's part of your narrative yeah because when you are aware that you know people will hear and then you get to rewrite it you make mm. it a little more like everybody else's shit you know there's there's benefits to both there's that side where when you're it's off the cuff the emotions are flying yeah the other side of working through it for a little bit is that sometimes you don't realize the connections in your life that are that brought the story together so when i Mm. when i work with somebody i'm usually like tell me where the story is coming from and it almost always goes back to childhood Mm. or something in the past Mm. so you add like psychology oh yeah (laughs) i i don't have a degree in it but i feel like i I could you're getting one Mm -hmm. um so usually they they're like oh i hadn't i didn't remember this or i hadn't thought about this and they start and it for them it's a it's like a a cathartic process yeah where like they feel like they got something off of their chest that they have been holding on to for decades sometimes yeah yeah oh no it's really yeah Yeah. and it all starts in childhood i mean let's be honest (laughs) (laughs) i I think i would say 
almost all my stories begin with childhood. Yeah, really because is. that's when we like make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. That's where we get up, come up with our definitions, you know. And they're so, I mean, you know, there's like this little kid who is innocent and knows nothing, mm-hmm. but has to make sense of the world and like protect herself and absolutely right so then you go back and when you access that stuff you know most of us repress it but forget it whatever but when you're actually access that Mm -hmm. and then connect it to your truth now and who you've become now right then you you know it helps you understand why you see things the way you do and why you have responses that you have and and it also helps you kind of move on, you mm-hmm. know, turn it around once you make the connections. Right. Like make, I once can't you make spider the connections. <laughs> right. Once yeah. you make the connections, you can fix things a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can understand yeah. so why what's the spider web. I call it the spider <laughs> web of like because you go through life and it's like you have to go grocery shopping, you have work, you have right, family, right, whatever. Right, right, and you're right. not thinking no, um, you're like an, in the pic- picture. Right. You're a robot of duty. Yeah. So when you take time to work on the story for Raw, what mm-hmm. I've seen is that people take the time to make the connections of the different parts in their life. And then like the spider web like starts forming of like how one thing leads to another. Mm. And then they, t- they, t- they start seeing how one thing affects another thing. And mm-hmm. that happens even to me all the time where I'm like, Oh, this is so. This happened when I was like seven, and this is why I am like this <laughs> yeah. now. Like it, it's yeah. It's oh, amazing. I know. I know. It's um. It's like it's kind of shocking. Also, how much we have forgotten. Like I can be passing by some content. You know, I'm like passing by a TV screen in a public place because I don't do TV at home. <laughs> and uh, this just happened like two days ago. And someone was playing like a TV procedural show or something. And they were saying, oh, you know, children. And I think it was like about a kid being ad- abducted and raped. So l- luckily I was not abducted or raped as a child. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know that. <laughs> but, um, you know, there was like someone uh, saying that, you know, children who perform for adults nonstop in their childhood and like sit, go around to strangers and sit on their laps and do a song mm. and dance, you know, are children who are emotional orphans and you know their parents are absent or whatever gave a whole big, sh- mm-hmm. big speech and a name for it you know or, or this type of like incest that happens um that's more like emotional incest rather than physical incest but i mean i spent my childhood doing that <laughs> and yeah. i never thought you know i never gave it a name or a pathology mm-hmm. or wondered I, you know, I thought, oh, I must have been like a hammerhead in in childhood, you know, because I, <laughs> but now like I'm going by the TV and I went on about my business. So I didn't see the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. I was a passerby, but it stayed with me because mm-hmm. I, you know, like you said, it just like clicks that, oh, it brought back a memory of childhood that I have never investigated. Right. It's something that indicates something else you know that's not like what everybody does Mm -hmm. so what was you know what was that like four-year-old you know needing that she went to strangers and like recited the Iliad or you know sang whatever (laughs) black and white movie songs (laughs) from (laughs) the Greek movies you really are (laughs) I know why was I doing that it's not normal Mm -hmm. but so yeah it's interesting that we go through life and this little connections like like jolt totally <laughs> jolts of yeah meaning that's come up. 
Oh, absolutely. It happened with, I mean, with so many things, but like recently. So I didn't grow up with my biological dad. Yeah. Um, And I never give a shit. I was like, I know he, I didn't need him. I, I had a great family. I, right. You had the full family. I didn't you really. Know, thank God. Yeah. I didn't really yeah. care. So I, didn't was like, I, knew, I knew he wasn't there, but I didn't, I didn't care. Um, yeah. And then, but then uh, recently I realized that be- because of that, I took on the role of being like the matriarch of the family <laughs> mm-hmm. because I was like, well, if there's no dad, I got to take over and be, I mean, I guess it would be the patriarch, but I, I, right, I, but you're a girl. I took on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I took that. I didn't, but I didn't make that, make that connection until now that I'm 35. Wow. Um, and just things like that are, are also that I, um, even with my own like, like sexuality, it was like, uh, people assumed I was a lesbian um, I, they always assume that just because I didn't have any interest in, in men when I was a well, men boys when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it had anything to do with that. It had to do with like, why would I be interested in somebody who wasn't going to be there? <laughs> it exactly. was. A, it didn't have anything to do with sexuality. It had right. to do with psychology. Right. Um, but those are right. things that I realized. And, and role like, modeling from your earliest years. Right. Right. Yeah. Because like the the man who was around your grandfather was not like the potent male because he was an elder. So, you know, you kind of like filled that job without realizing it, right. you know, as yeah. a kid, as you grew up. Yeah. 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 He was definitely, he was definitely the man of the house, but I was his, the like, perf- not preferred, like I was the first granddaughter. I was like his little, mm-hmm. like I, he always had a different, uh, with me, he wasn't like a dad. It was more just like the total grandfather role. Mm-hmm. So... Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I definitely filled that role mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, as we uh, I learn our identities and change our identities, um, which, by the way, I think is a very interesting and important topic right now because people believe that, oh, you know, I have my sexual identity or gender identity or whatever other, you know, emotional identity. Yeah, but it's going to change. So, like, mm. don't, you know, don't hold on to it too tight because <laughs> like 10 years from now it's it, it can oh, change yeah. most likely that's called evolving right so like so it's okay for it's normal for it to change and not normal to be like written in stone mm-hmm. um but yeah a lot of it is emotional and psychological rather than you know genetic mm-hmm. i feel that the the genetic is a very 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 small percentage mm-hmm. of us and the rest it we're just like products of everything mm-hmm. that we, you know, and not just everything that we experienced and that happened to us, but how our own specific brain interpreted that, you know, because right. you can have like a sibling and they have a totally different interpretation of the same experiences. It's possible. So, you know, like forgiving yourself and allowing yourself space to like interpret and reinterpret and name and rename and label and relabel and just you know go with the flow mm-hmm. <laughs> and so be open funny. yeah it's important that's so funny i i've been i've honestly been going through a flow since i can <laughs> remember <laughs> like it, it literally like i change like my label every <laughs> every couple of years that's I'm great like, yeah, I think it's super healthy. Yeah, well, I didn't realize it was healthy until uh-huh. until recently. Like, because at the time I was like, I was just like, I don't know what I am, and uh-huh. then now I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, I just am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but it's so funny. I, I always the, the funniest for me is that um, 
I would say for 13, I was married 13 years, mm-hmm. I would say I'm a straight person who happened to fall in love with their best friend who happened to be a girl. Hmm. And I and that okay, that's complicated, right? <laughs> I was, that that was my line. I was like for thirteen okay. years, I I don't, I, I don't even get that. Okay, <laughs> I was I was a straight person who I was a straight person who happened to fall in love with their best friend. Okay, and their best friend happened to be a woman. Right. Okay. So I'm still straight. So, so you were heterosexual when you mean straight? What do you mean by yes. straight? Okay. Heterosexual. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you were, a, you have been a heteronormative <laughs> married lesbian. But only because you. I, I would have never to fall said in lesbian. Love with a woman. Okay, yeah, gotcha. I would have never. I would. I would. I would. I would always. I would only use lesbian if it was like convenient to me f- to create rapport with somebody. I'd okay. be like, oh yeah, like I'm in okay. the club, right? Okay. Okay. So like, if you were with lesbians, you'd find a connection somehow. Right. Right. But right. that was it. Not that for, was, to yourself. Yeah, but if that's, if like on the street, some random person <gasps> would have asked me, I'm like, no, I'm totally straight. <gasps> I just happened to be married so to a weird. woman, <laughs> right? Th- I lived 13 years of that. It was kind of, and I, don't, I wouldn't say it was denial. I, I really believed it. Right. It was, yeah. It's but, Okay, so if, you, if I may ask, like, you've been with guys? With one before. <laughs> the be- one heterosexual? With one before, <laughs> yeah, before I married my wife, um, my ex-wife. So right. that, but in my mind, yeah. It's it's so weird, and then now so since weird. we've divorced, mm-hmm. now I'm like, the funny thing is, as soon as we, she, she was the one who was like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to be anymore in this relationship, and I was like, oh, I was totally shocked. The first like thought that I had after the shock was, well, I'm gonna go back to men, obviously, because <laughs> remember, I'm being straight, all these right, years. right, okay, so. I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so stupid. No, I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna go back to men, right? That was my first thought. So let's say for the first two days, <laughs> yeah, like week or two weeks or whatever. Three, you know, what? I'm still in shock, and this is happening. Right. I'm gonna go back to men, and then as it starts to wear off, and I start to calm down, and you know, reality sets in that we're not together, and it's the sadness mm. is starting to be normal. Mm. I'm like, I I remember, I remember to say I went to like this event. Um, like a just in Fort Lauderdale and like a networking event, and there was this really nice looking. I mean, I want to say woman. I don't know how she identifies, but female looking person, <laughs> a little like tomboyish, not very, not super feminine, not lipstick, not lipstick. And I was like, oh, she's, she's hot. hot. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wait, am I? And I, I I thought I was straight. <laughs> And then you're like, well, maybe she identifies as a boy and I can still be straight. And I was like, this is so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, so maybe I'm, then I maybe I'm lesbian because I have been with a woman for 13 <laughs> years. And then I'm like, oh, but that guy's also really hot. And then I'm like, maybe I'm not as straight as I thought I was. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. So like. Okay, so like 15 years later, uh-huh. you figured out you may be bi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I'm totally bi. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And looking forward to it. Yeah. Whereas before, I would have been like, I really had these thoughts where I was like, oh, um, I would, I would maybe have sex with a woman, like apart from my ex-wife. I would maybe have sex with another woman. But I would definitely not date them or 
like emotionally invest. No, like, it would just play. be like a fun thing, right? Yeah. Sexual play. Yeah. And and it was like I would I would like shut down any yeah. thought yeah. of ha- it being more than just a playful thing. Yeah. And then now um now I'm like oh but why not? I mean I can just go like why who knows, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's very freeing. It's yeah. funny because I hated labels and hate it uh, and i'm huge like uh dr kinsey fan <laughs> and all that stuff. like i don't want labels i like my scale being anywhere uh, on the scale yeah and then now i feel more freedom saying that i'm bi than i had oh, yeah. before when yeah. i was like i don't want any labels <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean you know i think and again you know like the pc thing is to not speak for anyone mm-hmm. but ourselves but I think that we're all a little bi mm-hmm. and whether or not you express it and how much you express it, you know, it's again, a product of like your upbringing and how you are used to seeing yourself in the context of like culture, the general mm-hmm. culture. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you're saying like whether sexually, just sexually, you know, are we capable of being bi and also like emotionally, right. like are we capable of you know, having emotional connection with either gender, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes. our our, yeah. our prejudice or whatever, our, I don't want to call it that. So our our own like self editing, right, mm-hmm. um, is based on all kinds of comfort zones mm-hmm. that have come up in our childhood from right. our childhood on. Yeah, and also like self imposed because yeah. my family did not give a rat's ass <laughs> that I was with. Like they nothing oh my god like rats ass <laughs> <laughs> they will they <laughs> this is that expression i've always wanted to say anyway go ahead. <laughs> it's super super american expression I know. um so yeah they didn't care they, like it was never an issue they were automatically loving of my ex they didn't care at all so it wasn't like i had like family like who would be like oh mm. giving me a hard time mm. um no it was totally totally self-imposed although i will say that um it it i don't think that people realize what like that they're prejudiced against um like homo homosexuality or any other type of sexuality they don't realize that at all because like even my mom who's like super open and she doesn't she did not give a shit who i was with the other day she was like well you're gonna die alone because you chose to not have children and i'm like well, it's not that I chose. <laughs> it's just really hard to have children as two lesbians. <laughs> I can't get pregnant unless I have a lot of money, which I don't have a lot of money. Right. So it's even she doesn't even realize what she's saying. Mm-hmm. That it's not like I said, well, I'm going to become a lesbian so I can't have children. Mm-hmm. So it's really funny that they don't even, even people that are really, really open don't really under realize what they're saying sometimes yeah yeah and and life is just a touch more complicated when you're not heteronormative you know on every level like at work you know legally um i mean it's oh you know the 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 rights that you know queer people have are so recent and could be taken away again Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know especially with the current administration yeah so i see how you know people who don't want like anxiety stress and you know complications Mm -hmm. don't want to (laughs) complicate their life you know may find it easier to just go with a hetero Mm -hmm. because it's the norm you know it's the statistical 
right. you know, norm. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean anything more than statistics, but it's convenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really and, is. Yeah. Um, so unless like you've had an early, like you, you know, where you had an early exposure to queer life, you know, for whatever reason, you fall in love with your best friend. That's all it takes, you know, mm-hmm. but you c- both had like the, the, the courage mm-hmm. to to go with that, you know, and, and what's the word, consummate? <laughs> um, th- that feeling, you know, friendship, you know, which everybody has. Like, we all kind of, like, have a crush on our best friend, especially before we're sexual, you know, mm. when we're, you know, in, mm. in, like, middle school, we're more with our same gender friends. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of taking that to its natural expression um, instead of, like, not and keeping it on, like, the friend level then I- it allows you to understand that you can go either either gender and you understand your bisexuality early on, yeah? Right. Um, but I really think that the people who have not done that stay hetero because it's so convenient. <laughs> you know, like you don't have to explain <laughs> anything to anyone. You don't yeah. have to come out to anyone. You don't have to uh, apply for any mm. special whatever no. forms. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's really, it really, it's it's stuff as simple, and this is gonna sound so stupid, as simple as like who gets to drive, mm-hmm. because we're so used to well, the men all always drives or opens the door, and now and then when I first got like got together with her, it was like well, and I was also her first lesbian relationship. You're we like, okay, so we had, had to figure out a whole new set of right. Who pres- does what? Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then, and then, which which would piss us off when someone would ask, "Who's the man in the relationship?" Eek. Later on, because we were like, no, we had to figure this out, and we were together. This is early 2000s, so this is before it was so common as it not common, but like so open as it is now. Right. We had to figure it out. A lot of it on our own, mm-hmm. and when somebody asks us that, we're like, "No, no, no! <laughs> You're putting down all the work that we put in to figure out like what our relationship was, um, as exactly. two women, exactly. not as a man right. and a woman." Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and you know, for some people, like um, I think like some people also who find it psychologically difficult to be in a heteronormative relationship and let the guy like have the extra perks, you know, ch- mm. like the veto power, mm-hmm. or, you know, he provides the majority of the income so he gets to say what happens, you know, or decide what's for dinner. I don't know the mm-hmm. cliches because honestly I've never lived them. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there are all these cliches that, mm-hmm. you know, you were free of that role modeling to a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must have seen some of it with your grandparents. Right. But like, if you grow up with both parents around, that's what you have uh, been shown. That's right. what you're supposed to repeat uh, if you w- live unconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. So when you want to live from a conscious level, um, your first instinct is either to like repeat that or do the opposite and just like don't not do mm-hmm. it at all because mm-hmm. that's what comes mo- most easily with the least amount of work on yourself. Right. You know, because yeah. we're humans are lazy. We are lazy <laughs> in terms we're of like we don't have time. Yeah. Well, yeah. In terms of like w- when you learn something, you kind of just don't want to relearn it. You're like, I just want to continue doing that because it's comfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah. But no, like I mean, uh, you know, as a mom, um, I I never copied modeled either one of my parents 
but and I that was a conscious decision. You know, my I came out of very st- strong patriarchy, mm-hmm. um, and I ran away from home when I was fifteen, and I came to LA, well, actually West Hollywood, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the movies are, oh, wow. um, from the island of Crete. You know, at the age of fifteen, wow. because. I lived in a family where like nothing was uh, permitted, you know, that I wanted to do. And it was all my dad, you know, it was like his name. I, you know, I shamed the name or I, whatever, you know, and I was a good kid. So I'm not, I didn't really do anything (laughs) that we would think now Mm -hmm. is not, you know, appropriate. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to join theater group or write plays, like, Mm. you know, organize uh, sit-ins and protests, whatever. Um, But, but my point is, because I entered a new culture that was so different from mine, and I spoke a foreign language that like was that was my third language or fourth language that I had learned, right? So the fact that everything was so foreign, the way everything was done, especially like in um, LA, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is not Middle America, no. you know, and then New York. Like from there, I moved to the West Village and lived, you know, at St. Mark's Place. Or <laughs> so I was right in the middle of the, you know, anti-culture, yes. right? Um, so um, I didn't have to actually perform in any any normative role. And my work was always in art and sex and, you know, writing about sex and about, you know, so, uh, you know, my art practice and my writing practice kept me outside the the norm. And then I became a mom. And then without even realizing it, I started acting like my mother. Because <laughs> uh, that's all I knew. Yeah. You, you know? didn't have time to. No. How are you going <laughs> to. Like, you don't even know. Like, I mean, unless you've studied it, mm-hmm. you know. It's just like you and a and a baby, <laughs> and all like you you your body like your hands repeat what you remember. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like there is no other way. So, you know, there are specific roles like when you get married, you know, to a man, where without even knowing it, you're just repeating what your parents did. In the most minute ways, and that's where it gets mm-hmm. you. You know, it might not be like the grand <laughs> yeah. gesture, but like all but of like a sudden you notice, like oh. the kitchen, the bathroom. Oh. You know, like like who make like how you know where I you know. sleep, like the making of the bed or the serving of the dinner. I yeah. hate that word. <laughs> the serving. Yeah, I I know. I oh god. I I haven't lived um, in the same place uh, that my family has for thirteen plus years, and. I, I honestly I don't really see them that much, and when I do see them, I'm like, oh, this is where I got that from. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and, and it's just a lot, or it, it's also a lot of realizing why you are the way you are, and and it is like you say of like sometimes you're trying to be not like them. And it takes you on the other extreme. Mm-hmm. My grandmother mm-hmm. always says, like, like the extremes are bad. Yeah. And I, I think that's true because it's like, it's, right. it's yeah, really is right. like, it's really like, I, I, I don't want to be like maybe my mom or whatever, somebody else in my family. But then I go on the completely other end mm-hmm. of it and mm-hmm. then become, mm-hmm. create these rules in my mm-hmm. mind that mm-hmm. only, the, they don't exist in the re- real world. They're absolutely right. in my head for no reason. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, there is a legitimate reason. The reason is they're supposed to keep you from becoming your mother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) True. (laughs) True. That's a good reason. But yeah, like, 
it's hard to figure out, you know, a fully developed way of uh, mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on your that, own. Yeah, on your yeah. own. Yeah. And that's what we got to do. Otherwise, we perpetuate the patriarchy. You know, we perpetuate whatever you want to call it, this system. You know, you can give it your favorite name. Mm-hmm. I'm, I call it that, but you right. know, people can no, call like it. Patriarchy. Yeah, but you can call it whatever is like wh- your, your source of repression. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if if you don't like try to consciously change things and do what's difficult, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you c- keep doing what you were taught, you perpetuate the system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's something that I now, I think differentiates me from the people that I grew up with, even mm. friends and family. Mm. Whereas like when I, some, when I moved, especially to like New York, but actually also a lot of Miami, when I moved here, um, there's just a lot of being conscious of these things that are going around in your head and in society. And it made a whole lot of difference. Just being aware. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just being not ignorant about it made mm-hmm. a whole lot of difference mm-hmm. about everything, about life and also sexuality and every every other aspect mm-hmm. of like the human experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Finding like conscious space and holding it mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Yeah. 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 And Miami is conservative. I mean, probably not as much as other parts in America that I haven't been to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like the immigrant uh, cultures that make Miami, they're conservative. Like, Mm. you know, the subcultures, um, uh, uh, all of them are like really ancient, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's the Hasids or the Haitian community or, you know, the Caribbean island, you know, uh, community right. which Puerto Rico would be a minor part mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, mostly Cuban. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But they all come from like you know male dominated, ancient. Mm-hmm. You know, well not ancient enough to be female dominated, but you know old mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cultures. So uh, you know, we like you know, there is like the younger, more rebellious. Uh, artistic community in Miami and it's thriving it's been growing it yeah. a lot you know because of whatever Art Basel and all kinds of other confluences um, you know a lot of like the, the snowbird culture <laughs> has helped mm-hmm. right because <laughs> people have come from uh, you know urban centers like New York um, but we are definitely coexisting and outnumbered by you know these uh, cul- immigrant cultures you know even even more recent uh, immigrants like the russians you know all over si- sunny island islands very male dominated mm-hmm. and they've just come like in the past 10 years you know or chinese immigrants you know so male dominated so it's interesting you know we gotta kind of like penetrate them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hadn't thought about that but yeah, we're like cultural uh spies yeah <laughs> well that that's kind of for me um the one comment that i keep <laughs> receiving from my like raw storytelling shows uh-huh. is the melting pot of people that go mm. i literally have all ages all genders, all races, like come in. All types of people come in, and it's always different. It's always like fifty percent are repeats, fifty percent are new because nice. ma- maybe they don't come every single month. Mm. Um, and it's just a huge melting pot of people, and I love like in the beginning, yeah. people were like, "Oh, but you're not seeing the same type of people, so how how are you going to attract them?" And like, I don't care. 
Like yeah. I just wanted to create a space where people can come and hear other yeah. people's stories, and that's exactly what's happening. So I do like. I think we're we're slowly but surely infiltrating them and just bringing them yeah. one by one. Yes, <laughs> one by one is how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Do you have the same space or you move? So we every second Thursday of the month we're in the same space and oh, nice. it's Cafe Collective in nice. Fort Lauderdale. We did have a series of shows that happened outside of that um, in the beginning of this year. The last one will be in May in West Palm Beach, mm. but um, we had one at the World World Erotic Art Museum, which mm-hmm. was really it was really fun. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, the the goal we're gonna go back to just doing the monthly ones um, at, at Cafe Collective for a little while because we realized that. Um, I mean, I realize that <laughs> Deva- I say we a lot. Yeah, the <laughs> I, royal we. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the queen. <laughs> <laughs> we. Yeah, yeah. Um, I realize that dividing isn't necessarily like growth. It's mm. actually like creating more of it isn't growth. Mm. It's just dividing the same people. Mm. So I'd rather like grow it and then figure out ways to reach more people, like through the podcast. That's mm-hmm. I think my biggest goal right now is to hold back on having so many live shows and local shows and mm-hmm. be able to have more content that I could put out podcast form so mm-hmm. I can reach more people outside mm-hmm. of Florida. Yeah. Um, because yeah. these are stories that absolutely need to be heard yeah. everywhere. Well, all you have to do, you know, is tape the, your live shows. Oh, I do, yeah. And then get permission and that yeah. can be your podcast. No. Yeah, just... the podcast is out there. Okay. It already started. Um, right. We're actually, I think this month was our seventh episode. So if you, okay. if you, you search see? for raw yeah. storytelling and yeah. where podcasts right. are found, it's yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it's just a once a once a month thing right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to do... Yeah, it's too bad you don't have a backlog of whatever you had done before. I do, I do. Oh. Yeah. So, so what taped everything. Oh, uh, I from the beginning, I knew that okay. it was, that whole purpose was to put make a podcast. Yeah. So right now, what, what what's out in, on the air right now for the podcast is the stuff that... The shows that happened in 2017. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch. Okay, so you have plenty of material. I have plenty, but I want to do more because people want to send their stories that don't live in Florida, for example, or people who maybe can't go to a show want to send their stories. So I want to keep growing the podcast to where it's not only the live show stories, it's anybody can send a story from anywhere. Right. So you can do the same thing that you're doing. Uh, you know, with your like mini edits and everything, right. but then interview them on on the phone. Totally, and yeah. They can like read it out for the ten fifteen mm-hmm. minutes on the phone, and that's your episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's so. The, oh yeah, you yeah. could make. You just need time to edit everything. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I think you <laughs> have like hundreds of episodes. Right, yeah. and that's the thing with having. Uh, it, it's all I. I say I learn from every single show. I, we're not going. I think it's going to be like twenty first show or whatever twenty something show. Um, I learned from every single one something. What I learned from doing two shows a month is that it not it's not necessarily the it's not fulfilling the bigger purpose, which is to get more stories out there. Mm. So now I'm 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 gonna keep it up to one a month mm-hmm. in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might do some special ones out there, but it'll still be one a month. And then I'm really gonna focus on growing that podcast so that yeah. I can get more more people's stories yeah. on there. Yeah. 
So, and is this a labor of love or is it actually something that you get paid to do? It started <laughs> out as a labor of l- absolutely labor yeah. of love. It was my third job. I had a full-time job. I had a witchcraft branding and this was my third, uh-huh. uh, which is why the wife left me. You can see the <laughs> pattern there. Yeah. Um, so, a workaholic. Yeah. <laughs> totally workaholic. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it was a labor of love, but now I'm turning it into a business because mm. now I don't have that full-time job. Oh, okay. Good. So, now my purpose is to be able to like create a profit out of this so i can live off of it a little bit and then be able to grow it more yeah yeah sweet yeah yeah i think that's great and you know anything again anything that involves like uh witchcraft (laughs) and raw storytelling (laughs) those are the major supporters yeah major (laughs) supporters of so you know please continue to like you know that's it you know Mm -hmm. i think that like that's especially as women you know it's great for us to do something like this instead of like work for a corporation or Mm -hmm. whatever people do and again there is zero judgment it's super important first of all to make your own money so you know to me you know for all the women out there you know most important thing is make your own money and don't depend on the guy's money Mm -hmm. you know because then you don't have to make all the endless compromises that we have been raised to make yeah but secondly, once you actually have like a resume and you are able to make money, there is nothing better than like start starting your own brand and starting your own mm-hmm. business that speaks to your truth and your interest. Because once you start it, you know, it will find its voice. Mm-hmm. You may not make as much money, but like in exchange, you know, you feel good about whatever you're doing f- in the world, you know, for your and I, you know, I used to say tribe <laughs> for mm-hmm. your tribe, for your coven. <laughs> yeah, for your coven is much better because yeah. you know now with like Trump, I feel like tribal politics and the the instinct of the herd are no no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, coven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I I also like to say that I I agree. I I see nothing wrong with working for an employer. Right. I have considered many times where I'm like the because it is really hard to be an entrepreneur and work yes. for yourself. It's so hard. You work I second that. ten <laughs> times more than yes. when you work for somebody else, and you make ten nothing. times less. <laughs> You make nothing. <laughs> but I will say that I've considered many times going back and I see nothing wrong with it. It's uh, honestly, it's sometimes it's even you. The most important part is to find what it is that you want in life. So, for example, I love working. So mm-hmm. I I feel proud of working 12 hour days. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people who just want to travel or and not just they want to travel, which is great. Or they want to spend more time with their um, friends and family. Well, they want to raise their young, or they wanna, which is time consuming. Yeah. Or they want to do or they just want to come home and like open a beer and have pizza, which sounds amazing. And read a book. And read a book and relax. Especially and like a book that's not uh, that's like 50 years old. Yeah, just saying. That'd be fun. <laughs> and for and yeah. that and the ideal lifestyle for that is to have like a day job that you don't have to worry about anything else. Right. And, yeah. you know. You go home I and you're envy done them. I yeah. want to be like that where I just <laughs> relax. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's n- there's no wrong path. Uh, wrong path. No, there's at all. no wrong yeah. path. But there is something again, you know. But meh, whatever. I should shut up. But I'm saying there is something <laughs> to be said for finding your own voice, your mm-hmm. creative voice. You know, as a woman, you know, like men have done it so much for so long. Yeah, you know? and women are not used to it. So that's why I kind of like 
feel it's important to talk about it because, you know, women, even now, like as an artist, okay, as an artist, I was doing painting and I was doing graffiti and then I switched to embroidery and stitching, the mm. hand stitch, you know, part, uh, to a great extent in homage to like my mom and my grandma and my aunt, would, we would all sit on the porch and we would mm -hmm. stitch away the afternoons, you know, and it was meditative. And so when I became a mom, it became something I could do with my daughter there, you know, even in the studio. It was just, you know, not as smelly and not mm -hmm. as, you know, it was easier right. to carry around. And I found that it was more like street art. You know, everyone, you know, would walk in from the street. I had the studio at the art center on Lincoln Road and have their own like stitching and embroidery <sighs> stories and narratives, mm, you know, yeah. unlike like fine art per se and mm -hmm. abstract art and, you know, performance art, which was a little more off-putting to the you know average mm -hmm. person, viewer. Um, but I found that women didn't buy art. They would not, you know, they would come in, they would uh -huh. talk, and then they would go buy the purse. They would buy the shoes. Yeah. They would buy the, you know, makeup. They would buy the lipstick. They would buy, like, the facial. They would buy the facelift. They would buy the Botox. They wouldn't support the sister in her wow. art practice because it's just not what they know, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and, and men would. So inevitably, you know, the art became more and more... Uh, geared toward the male gaze again, however tongue-in-cheek, because that's mm -hmm. the only thing I would sell. Yeah. Same thing with, like, my healing practice. I have something called scribal therapy, and, like, I'm teaching, uh, you know, I'm, I'm teaching people, and I want to say women, but it ends up being the men again. Mm. You know, kind of like an, the ancient practice of words as magic spells and alchemy, mm -hmm. and how to, you know, cure and, and rework your consciousness, you know, find healing, find peace, find... Um, self-acceptance and find your new self through re re reconnecting with the words, not the way the meaning that patriarchy gives us mm -hmm. of words, but like the ancient alchemical, you know, magical meaning of the words. Mm -hmm. So um, again, you know, my vision for it was w women focused, but the practice has been that, you know, 90% of my customers are men and they come and they pay for the old, you know, ancient women wisdom, which really we should be gaining but it, it, that's how it works, right. you know. So as women, we do, we are not used and trained, you know, to to spend our own income on any on anything that doesn't involve making ourselves mm -hmm. being Little looking prettier. better mm. for the male gaze. Right. That is so interesting. I know. So you know, it's important to not only like make our money, but also mm -hmm. like spend our money consciously and wisely, you mm -hmm. know, in 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 a new consciousness. Um, so we gain th that that advantage, that power that we have, that we've been born with, right? With making our our own money, absolutely. Exactly. I love you that. Know. And you know, I, I I do think that is you know, is women should try to have children and raise them, you know, more consciously and more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, m more uh, wisely again than we were raised, How, you know, to the best of their abilities. I mean, uh, you know. No judgment. You do your best, but it's nice to try. No, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I love that. Yeah. And I, I get it. Yeah. And side note, I, I used to cross stitch with my mom. Mm. That's the thing that sh that we used to do together. <laughs> it's so nice, right? It's awesome. I yeah. know. It's such a bonding ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, so too. I agree. And it's like, you know, for so many generations, it was like the invisible labor of women. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was no price for it. You know, men were like, 
unaware of it being around you know the doilies <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> yeah they, they thought they just came out of i don't know yeah what, like uh, yeah they fell from the sky yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think they and grew then on when trees the girl married like it would be her dowry and that's mm-hmm. what she would take from home to like this strange new place she was going on her own mm-hmm. and and it was like a blessing <laughs> so yeah there is a lot to it i think that's so cool yeah well, good. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. We'll thank have you. to do this again. I know. It's so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Thank you for trusting me as your sex whisperer here on Jolt Radio. And uh, until uh, next week when I'll be back, please speak sex. Ciao.